for anyone who's running a business and physicians, especially, you need to take time to care for yourself because whenever you get clear and you take a break and you have gratitude, you have a higher level of confidence coming in and people follow people with confidence. They rally around them. Hi, everyone. We are so glad you're here on Doc Working, the whole physician podcast. I'm Jill Farmer, Master Certified Life Coach and one of the lead coaches at Doc Working and one of the co-hosts of the Doc Working Podcast. And today, I'm really excited to be joined by Jeanette Wade. Jeanette is an author as well as an expert at helping people in organizations thrive. She uses strategy, execution, and team health to help transform organizations. And she does this across industries with a holistic approach that goes beyond a formulaic strategy. Her ideas are not just pie-in-the-sky theories. It's rooted in hard data and evidence gathered from a long career. And I love, Jeanette, how you try to help leaders change the way companies operate and the way that teams operate together so that people can thrive in business and, frankly, in life as well. And I think this is important for physicians specifically because I hear all the time from physician clients that if not coming from sort of a business or corporate background, they sometimes feel like they don't have that training or development in how to be good leaders or how to help facilitate that thriving team mentality and that you talk about in your latest book, The Human Team. So what do you notice in healthcare organizations and with physicians that their needs are that can be helped by the work that you talk about in your book? What I'm finding is that physicians and those types of practices struggle with a lot of the same things almost every organization and even small business struggles with. And really, you know, ineffective people, sustaining engagement, retention, having enough time and attention to give to the people, you know, just wondering how to do tough people decisions and when are they going to find the time to do that. So The struggle with people is real (laughs) and almost every business or medical practice or any organization that has a few people in it struggles with it because people show up, right? I mean, they show up with their nature and we don't have time for that. And we try to do things to the best of our ability within what little bit of time we have to nurture different outcomes. And we try to do all of the business things we do learn and something's missing. And people now are finding out that that missing thing is causing a lot of stress and tension and strain in their organizations. In fact, I was listening to an interview of someone yesterday talking about nurses and the strain and tension and other medical practices as well, just with COVID and everything going on. And they're just not getting their needs met. So there's been an exodus or an exit of nursing going on because these needs haven't been met. Yeah, it's a real challenge. And I often will have physicians come to me who have either standalone practices or are working in hospital settings in their division. And I hear a lot of everything would be okay if XYZ person or people would just do X. (laughs) And there's a lot of wailing and gnashing the teeth about just wishing that other people sort of would be different than they are, or particularly behaving differently than they are. And so You talk about in the human team, this idea of an adaptable blueprint that leaders need to be thinking about for 
gaining better control of team dynamics that isn't just, I wish people would act differently so things would work better. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Wishing and hoping is not a strategy for sure. And basically what was discovered through research observation and being with, you know, tons of teams, probably almost 600 full day sessions right now with leadership teams at small organizations. And some of them are medical practices or veterinary practices. And this framework of getting six facets of human needs met actually helps you increase the odds of multiplying the effect from people, getting return on individuals, and honestly, just the key to healthy functioning teams. And we've moved from this industrial economy about 100 years ago, right, that we used to have into the service and people economy. And many of us haven't adapted into that well enough to get these human needs met so that our teams are really, truly functional. You really want peace of mind, get these six things right, these six facets of human needs, which are clarity, connection, contribution, challenge, consideration, and confidence. And running your practice, running your business becomes easier because the people are able to fully self-actualize as a team. So Maslow talked about individual self-actualization and getting fundamental needs met. What we haven't done successfully for organizations say, how does that work with communities, teams, organizations, groups of people? And that's what this does. So let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind. I think the six facets of human needs are so helpful because we sort of have this idea. Yeah, yeah, everybody's got these human needs, but to really identify them in the C's as you did, can we just go through each one of them briefly and talk about what you mean by helping to make sure that those are actualized in a team setting briefly? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, The first one was clarity. And in a team setting or any group of people, if we lack that clarity, it's like being in the fog. They get confused. They make assumptions. They go the wrong directions. And we get frustrated by them if that need isn't met. So making sure that we're giving them proper context or purpose or the why we're doing things, giving them the information they need to be able to do their jobs well with absolute clarity without a doubt, because the cost is high. When we don't have clarity, we tend to have conversation failures. We assume, and they assume that we all understand each other. And conversation failures on average cost us about $5,700 and about seven days of time. We've all done it. We've all said, hey, could you do X, Y, Z? Thinking that they understood us only to find out that they wasted a lot of time or they procrastinated. They didn't do anything. They didn't do it the way we thought they were going to do it. And then we had to readjust and wasted time or cost was spent. So clarity is absolutely a need. We all have a need to be clear. I just had a practice talk to me on the phone last week about one of the practice leaders on the leadership team wasn't clear on what the organization wanted them to focus on, on the leadership team. They understood their role as doctor, (laughs) but they didn't understand what am I supposed to do to help run this business? And what do you guys want from me? You threw me on this team and now I'm not sure what to do. And they've been making it up for six months. So they cost a waste of time for that doctor's billable hours, but also not getting the results they wanted from that person joining the team. Oh, great example. Okay. What are some of the other facets and how they impact team dynamics? So the second one is becoming more important if you're worried about this attrition and you want more retention on your teams because talent is difficult to get now. The connection facet is really that humans need to belong together. They need to feel loyalty and connection to each other. And when we get that, we're retaining them. 
We can retain 77% of the people on our staff that we want to retain if we only keep them connected to us. And that's not just through communication and team building activity, but also understanding that they connect to where they are. And that's been really difficult during COVID because we haven't been able to come together as much and gather, have purposeful ways of connecting. We also connect, and I'm trying to find a better word than this, but I think this really says it, we connect through ritual, the repetition of things that this office always does this every month, or this office does this every week, or this is how we start our mornings. And we start to count on that and connect to it. And we're like, this is how our team operates. And I'm part of the team. So keeping connection actually improves the energy of the team and their ability to be functional and stay sticky to each other, meaning they retain, they stay with the organization. Yeah, we talk a lot at Doc Working about attrition and how expensive it is for healthcare systems to hire (laughs) new physicians. And so really working hard on ways to support physicians to thrive in their current situation so that they don't leave or get burned out because it's painful and harder on the physicians and it's really hard on the organizations. And connection is a big key of what we've done in our Doc Working Thrive subscription program is to provide a place where physicians can come together you know, outside of work as well and feel connected to other physicians, feel seen, be able to share ideas and get coaching and support. So of course, connection is near and dear to my heart. And I think you bring up a really good point. A lot of times leaders, I've seen it in organizations across sectors, including healthcare, think, oh, well, they're coming to work every day, but we don't really have to do anything to foster connection. And as you talked about the rituals, those other components of making sure that people feel like they belong, is actually not just something that spontaneously happens. Sometimes it really needs to be cultivated as leaders. So let's talk about confidence too. I know that's another one of your six facets that I think is one that leaders sometimes think is fixed in individuals on teams and they forget what their role is to help support or foster that. Yeah. I mean, natural, and we know this from the nature the instincts and reactions and brain functions, human beings as an animal naturally have fear, apprehension, and doubt. We're wired to resist. We tend to look at the negative. And so building up confidence in the team is really key. And what I find in some of the cultures in smaller businesses and practices is that there are a lot of cultures and ways of doing it that were dictatorships, a lot of ego behind it. They didn't embrace failure. They scream and yell at each other. I had a veterinary practice where they really have a challenge with building confidence and trust and the ability to make mistakes on the team because there's such a high level of expectation, perfection, And I'll just say for one of the leaders, a little bit of tyranny and dictatorship embedded in the culture. And I'm finding that's not unusual in these smaller organizations. And it's kind of almost a rite of passage. It's how it's always been. It's a ritual that needs to probably break because we need to embrace failure in organizations. And I'm not saying the high risk failures. I'm not saying the medical failures, you know, so we obviously have compliance and we have things that we must do, but there's smaller things in running the business side that we can count on people to do that aren't deal breakers, aren't major risks to the organizations, you know, things like allowing someone to order office supplies for you instead of you doing it for yourself so that you can actually focus on patient care. I'm always amazed when I see people who are running businesses doing things that they should not be doing because they don't allow other people to take the chance to do it. And a lot of times it's super small stuff. And I say office supplies because I literally see small things like that. And it baffles me that they don't give people a chance to do it. So embracing that failure and allowing people to make mistakes and learn from it and say, so what do we learn from that? How do we get better? It's a continuous improvement and honoring of it 
Also, I think for anyone who's running a business and physicians, especially, you need to take time to care for yourself because whenever you get clear and you take a break and you have gratitude, you have a higher level of confidence coming in and people follow people with confidence. They rally around them. And so if you're building confidence and trust in yourself, you'll build confidence and trust in the team because confident teams and confident leaders adapt and innovate faster. And 98% of people perform better when they're confident. So if you can build up the confidence and trust and ability to take chances and innovate and continuously improve in the organization, you have much higher odds of scaling your business. Really, really good information. There's such a misnomer out there in the world that confidence should come from being perfectionist and the best and achieving. And I hear it all the time. People say, oh, I feel connected and I trust you because you admit it when things go wrong or when mistakes are made, because I get curious about what I can learn from that. And that's, you know, it's taken a while for me to foster that. The ego had to take a good beating for a lot of years. (laughs) I had to go through some real ego death to get to that point. But I can say through the lived experience, it definitely is true. Okay. The last few of these uh, six facets, let's talk about contribution. What do you mean by that? So contribution, I'll just sum it up by saying there's so much to getting people to contribute. They need to contribute to their highest, best use, their natural skills and abilities. Sometimes we have people contributing in ways in which they're not naturally able to do it and it frustrates them and they fail. So when they can't contribute, they're distracting. And we've seen that they gossip on the corners or they're detracting from the team. We want to tap into everyone's natural abilities as much as we possibly can. But probably the biggest takeaway is to know that the size of the team matters. Too often we'll form, you know, these partnership structures and practice structures that have way too many people in the room making decisions. And because size matters, not everyone can contribute. So if you think about a rope pull, which was researched in the Ringelman effect, if you put one person on each side of the rope pull, they each contribute at 100%. The more people we add to the rope pool on each side, the less their contribution was. It went down percentages until it reached about seven or 10 people on each side. There were literally at least one person on each team that weren't pulling at all. They weren't pulling their weight. And those are the ones we get frustrated with because we kind of know it, but we can't tell because we're all absorbing the work and making it happen. But I think the biggest thing within physician practices and for doctors is that empathy evaporates beyond team sizes of 15. And so it's just the natural grouping and your teams will start to fall apart and break apart. So if your practice is at 15 people or greater, you're not able to be empathetic with each other, which means that you're not also able to be empathetic with your patients and people you serve. So the solution to that is to create smaller teams within the organization so that people do have a place to contribute and to feel like they have some connection (laughs) to the greater good of the organization. People tend to contribute at higher levels if the team size maintains around three to seven people, which is why you'll hear a lot of times people say, we create pods. So I have a physician, a nurse, and an assistant that work together and they're a pod. So they'll not only build a stronger level of connection and loyalty to each other, but they'll also fully contribute because they learn how to capitalize on each individual's unique natural ability and highest best use. Excellent. Let's talk about the last two. Consideration. What do we mean by that? Consideration is probably the biggest one for this audience today, especially after listening to the two-hour interviews about nursing shortages and why they're leaving. I mean, there were a lot of things around salaries and pay, but the vast majority of the feedback they were getting in all the interviews was that they don't feel regarded or considered as human beings. 
that they're not being seen and appreciated. They're not being acknowledged for all the extra effort being put in. And I think that that's with every job I'm seeing right now. I mean, we're seeing it in fast food. I pulled up to a restaurant yesterday and they had surprisingly closed the day before because of a lack of staffing. And the note said, we all quit because we weren't being appreciated. So, (laughs) and that's just in my own local backyard. And I know I've seen news stories. So we're not robots. Human beings need to be appreciated. You must take time to be thankful and grateful. Otherwise they will leave. 66% of people leave because they're not appreciated. And that's been a statistic for years, even pre-COVID. So human beings are not human doings. You must acknowledge their humanness and who they are as a whole person and what's really going on and listen carefully. And if you can understand their language of appreciation, some people like words of affirmation, some people like gifts, some people just like high fives. So understand how each person likes to be appreciated and give them that and you will see more result and return and multiple effort. Oh, fantastic piece of information for everybody. And then let's talk about challenge. You know, there's, I think, again, another misnomer is that people are working along to get to the point where they can so that everything's easy. And it turns out there's diminishing returns <laughs> once things become too easy for us. Talk more about that. Absolutely. When we're not challenged as human beings, we get lazy brains and basically means we get complacent. We get, well, this is the way I've always done it right? We get that kind of thing. We don't get into a growth mindset. We don't adapt or change very fast. And challenge is really key. Now, what you'll find is people resist as leaders and business owners resist challenging people on their teams because they're worried. Well, they're already busy. They already feel challenged. I don't want to create conflict. And that's really not what we mean by challenge. I'd like for you to kind of think about it as I got to put on a coaching mindset. I got to think about the best coach or teacher I ever had And how they challenged me to be better than I ever thought I could be and put that mindset in and just, you know, give them a shot at doing something bigger, better, and more masterful than they did before. You'll get a little bit of resistance. You want to make the challenges just the right size and just kind of stair step them up because I've coached and challenged people as I'm sure you have Jill and they have a resistance. I'm not sure I can. I don't know if I want to do it. Why are you making me do this? They've said things like that. And I said, could you just do this one small thing to give it a shot? And inevitably they come back three months, six months, a year later and say, I'm so glad you pushed me. I'm so glad you challenged me. I'm so glad you coached me or you said that because I didn't want to do it, but I needed it. And so that's why it's a need. It's a need to be challenged. We all want to improve. We all want to get better. We all want to level up. And great leaders, great managers of practices get us out of complacency. They say we can do better. COVID was a great complacency shaker. (laughs) It was a great way to challenge us, but now we're burning out. We really need to balance out all six C's. If you're not getting all six met, you're not maintaining clarity of focus of purpose. You're not maintaining a connection. If you're in a rural area, keeping the physicians connected to the community so that they don't want to leave and go to another place. Helping everyone fully contribute might mean that they need to take a few breaks and recesses on the brain so that they can come back in and contribute. I know I can't contribute fully if I haven't gotten a good night's sleep. So sometimes we need to look at those things. Being coaching mindset and challenging each other, we come together through challenge. We all build bonds through challenge, really appreciating everyone's effort and giving them what they need in order to feel regarded and building up the confidence of the organization that we could do anything will multiply the effect, help you scale, 
you'll be more peaceful about how the group's coming together, the team is functioning because people will show up in a much better place. Oh, just beautifully said. And I just had the situation coaching a chief of surgery recently, and there was a lot of confusion. This is a you know great human being really trying their best, but they either thought challenge meant testing mm-hmm. their people where there was a high risk of failure. And then, you know, there was a lot of insecurity that was created in the model of the way that they were challenging, or there was a presumption by the leader. It's just easier if I do it myself because they're already pressurized and they don't want me to challenge them. And so being able to you know use these concepts you've just talked about to help the physician leader, the chief better understand that when you're providing a challenge for somebody with the faith in them, that they can achieve the challenge. Those two are necessary partnership from a leadership coaching perspective, if you're coaching your team to help them more likely achieve the success we want them to achieve. So beautifully said, I think you've given us so many just fantastic ideas. I can't recommend the human team enough for physicians, physician leaders, others in healthcare. I think there's just a lot of fantastic information. Jeanette Wade, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you do? So you can go to my website, which is business-alchemist.com. And on there, there is a section for the human team where you can get coaching guides, assessments. You can click over to order the book. My contact information is out there. So yeah, if anybody needs anything, I'm here to help answer any questions. Jeanette Wade, you have given us such amazing information. This is one of those ones you might want to put on replay, everybody, because I think there's just fantastic information for all of us, whether we're leading a pod of two or three people or in a group and we want to help somebody who's leading us do a better job. These concepts of the six facets of human needs, I just think are really helpful, especially in these times to help physicians thrive. So thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you to everybody who showed up today, be sure you tell your friends about Doc Working the Whole Physician podcast because we are here to serve you. Until next time, I'm Jill Farmer. As a busy physician, you're managing a lot. A lot of people depend on you, your patients, your colleagues and staff, your family. To get up every day and do all of the things that you do is an accomplishment. But when is the last time you stopped and thought about, where am I going with this? What would I like to see for myself in one year, in five years, in 10 years? What if you had a group of experienced coaches and a community of physicians there to support you, to help you figure out what matters to you, not just at this point in your life, but going forward this year, next year, indefinitely. What if you had that support to help you find the way to integrate what matters to you in your career with what matters to you outside of work? If that sounds appealing to you, our program Doc Working Thrive may be just for you. Please check us out, docworking.com. It's D-O-C-W-O-R-K-I-N-G dot com or email me, jen at docworking.com. This is Amanda Taren. I'm the producer of Doc Working, the Whole Physician podcast. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. And thank you for listening.